What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host, Dave Martinson. Dave, you buying that Mahershala Ali stock? Oh yeah, dog. To the Ozarks. Let's go. <laughs> Man, I was I was really pumped to see the trailer for season three of True Detective come out. Mahershala, I think it was the only big star cast, you know, especially after season two where they cast Vince Vaughn, Taylor Kitsch. Rachel McAdams and Colin Farrell. I was expecting to see a lot more. Seems like they're just going to let him ride this out with a, a two-timeline type story, which I'm really excited about. Get to see Mahershala kind of ball out. What was your impression from the trailer? Yeah, the two-timeline thing stands out. I remember True Detective Season 1 had that. It's going to be his vehicle, and that's dope. Yeah. You know, I don't care how similar it is to the first season. You know, it doesn't really matter. Just, I was cool. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, especially after Moonlight and just the year he had, what was that, two years ago now? 2016. 2016. Yeah. Uh, you got to let Mahershala shine, and I think he's going to kill it. So I'm excited to have that back in our lives starting January 2018, and that will definitely be on our uh, 2019. Pre- 2019. Yeah, and previewing our 2019, what we're looking forward to. We got a lot to get to today, though. Before we do, subscribe somewhere down below. Follow us on YouTube. Obviously, if you're watching us on YouTube, you are, hopefully. Also, SoundCloud.com slash NostalgiaPod and NostalgiaPod on Twitter. Give us all the feedback. We appreciate it. You've been alluding to this for a couple weeks, busting my balls a bit for seeing them in concert a couple of years ago. Interpol with that, what, sixth album? Marauder. An interesting idea for this album. Apparently, it's a concept album where it's about some some guy who is... I actually didn't even write this down because I thought it was such a boring idea for a concept album, but it's like some guy who's like traveling and... Just writing down his introspections about society. Interpol, just to kind of like give a brief background, what's your relationship with Interpol, Dave? Do you even have one? I don't have one. No? You know, I just know of their lineage as one of those early aughts New York rock bands. You know, we've talked about that here and there. Were they in the uh, Welcome to the Bathroom book? They or were. did that focus on the other bands? Were they mentioned in that? Yeah, no, they, they talked about them in there. You know, it focused a lot on the Strokes, but it touched on a couple of other bands. Um, yeah, I read it mostly yes, for right. the uh, yeah, 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 yes, and uh, LCD Sound System. James Murphy was featured pretty prominently in there. Yeah, they broke out in 2002 with Turn On The Bright Lights, you know, with songs like PDA and Obstacle 1 that their fans really ride for. But the thing I have about Interpol is that though they've tried to tweak their sound here and there, I find a lot of their music to be very similar sounding and homogeneous. And I kind of felt the same with this album. There were a couple times when I heard songs that stood out as, wow, that was something different. But for the most part, I found this album pretty boring and pretty similar all the way through. Anything that stood out to you about this? No, not really. I thought the vocals were pretty rote, pretty, Mm -hmm. you know, like you said, I think boring is a great way to put it. It's just nothing really pops on the record. It's just kind of there. I mean, did you think like the instrumentation was at least really good? Like... Like the vocals didn't do much for me. They didn't really stand out at all, and I don't really care what the concept is if I'm not engaged to listen. But yeah. I mean, did you like like the guitar on this or anything? You know, it's actually interesting because I, I, like I said, I think I find their sound very similar in a lot of their songs, especially their guitars. Often feel similar. A lot of either like slow guitars, like something like "Rest My Chemistry," where it's just kind of building this this vibe more than actually standing out for how it's being played or it's like this kind of like choppy like nah, 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 like type noise for some of them for some of their more upbeat songs the songs that stood out to me most on this were songs like i don't know like party's over 
Like the vocal distortion on that stood out. Like the guitar opening to number 10 and also probably matters had like a very jazzier sound. It closed out the album, which I thought was actually a pretty interesting track. And it's nice to hear them like incorporating horns and stuff more into their music. Some encouragement for maybe a, a different or more interesting album in the future. But for the most, I didn't find anything about this exceptional or anything that really stood out. Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of toyed with if, if we were going to talk about this one, and it's not like we were hyped about it or anything. I don't think really anyone was like super jazzed yeah. about a new Interpol record, and this is probably why. <laughs> we put a song from most of the albums we talk about on our Spotify playlist, which goes Spotify, Nostalgia Best of 2018. Give that a follow. I don't even think there's a song on this I'd want to put on there. It doesn't do it justice to, to our playlist to put a, put on a best of playlist. So um, Something I liked a lot more, though, was uh, a week ago, Death Cab for Cutie released their ninth album thank you for today ben gibbard known famously for death cat for cutie also for postal service back in the early 2000s really talented musician but the band's kind of fallen off a bit since uh, on the last like 10 years or so this decade really hasn't been good to death cab obviously like transcendentalism and some of their other records from the early 2000s are transatlanticism transatlanticism sorry <laughs> are very famous and very well known people really ride with those songs but bands kind of lost some of their luster thank you for today though some of the singles were encouraging I'm, dave what was your take on the singles and then just the album in general oh yeah so i thought this was much easier to listen to just because it it's an album that doesn't demand anything from you right you know it's unoffensive very undemanding very mm-hmm. fluffy very uh inessential you know it's you get out of it what you put into it, I guess, right? Like, it doesn't ask much as you as a listener, so I thought it was really easy, breezy listen. Much uh, more enjoyable than Interpol, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think that's actually... That's a plus for Death Cab, that it's easier to listen to, but I think that actually almost, in a way, underscores the actual talent that this band has. You know, after King Sugui, uh, which was their last album, came out, people were kind of worried about them because Chris Walla, their longtime bandmate and producer... Uh, had left the band and it was noticeable that the album just kind of fell flat and that there wasn't really a lot behind it and especially because Ben Gibber was like you know we're we're gonna remake the band and we're gonna you know uh, try different things and then it kind of came out and seemed very uninspired I think there's a lot more in this um, and they they take a lot more chances like even Gold Rush like a song like that is a kind of a different sounding Death Cab for Cutie single It, it has like a twang to it almost like a Mm-hmm. country type type noise in the background that's i think makes it really interesting um i also found like autumn love uh their, their second single to be a pretty interesting uh song like the way that the chorus kind of builds up with like the guitars kind of right before it i think your hurricane is probably my favorite song on the, the album it sounds kind of like classic death cab which you know i'm talking about all these changes that they made but i think when they can hit that sweet spot of what Death Cab used to be on something like Transatlanticism. This is mm-hmm. your Hurricane is a perfect example of that. My problem with a lot of indie rock is when it's too self-serious, you know. And this is not that, you know. It's it didn't made it made it wasn't as ambitious as like mm-hmm. as the earlier records. But given the run they've been on, that's probably a good you know soft reboot for the the band, yeah. I guess. Yeah, definitely, and it's gotten more positive reviews in the more recent work. So it's definitely a good direction for them. Just out of curiosity, what did you make of that last song, Sixty and Punk? It hasn't been, it hasn't come out who Ben Gibbard is writing this in reference to. He's obviously uh, talking about some star. I'm not really asking who you think it's about, but it's about him looking back at this, you know, like rock star and and 
kind of like the the line that hits things home in it is like were you happier when you were poor and a lot of people are thinking maybe ben gibbard is kind of looking at this and that's like a introspective look at his career and where he's at um what, what just what was your take on the song or did you really not catch it no 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 you're you're reminding me no i think that's actually pretty cool mm-hmm. you know it's uh it's taking a stab at something so yeah you know at, at the very worst you know even if it doesn't like jump out at me sonically like anything else did you know i think it's that's still you know cool lyrics definitely give this record a listen i i, I recommend it. it's not going to be anyone's best sub list i wouldn't think but there's a lot there to like another song i just wanted to shout out when we drive was probably the lowest point because that might be the most boring song i've ever heard i'm not <laughs> like i'm not even kidding that that song was just nothingness just gross so skip over that one but listen to the rest uh definitely a lot there someone who's definitely not boring but this album was or this mixtape or however you want to put it this project not as exciting as this first one your guy amine so talk to me about 1.5 no i think i think you nailed it spoilers 1.5 isn't as good as good for you (laughs) is a debut album from last year i think the big reason that is what are what were Amine's strengths we talked about last year? You know, remember he blew up with Caroline, and he kind of followed that up with a, a record that is similar to Caroline's strengths, right? Mm-hmm. It's really upbeat and positive and also quite introspective at times, right? And, you know, also fun to listen to, right? Like I thought uh, like Spice Girl was a really good album mm-hmm. from that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Amine from after good for you comes out we're like all right yeah he caroline wasn't one hit wonder this dude actually really seems to care about the work he puts in putting on for portland which is really cool to see just because that's not a, a big or hot rap scene or anything and you know he's coming at rap in a different way he's not you know it's it's very original production and whatnot and then he like kind of like leading up into this 1.5 project he was kind of like becoming like everyone else it seemed like i just found this sounding so generic and it's like Amine was clowning like materialism on Good For You. Right. And he's making like generic, like trap flavored songs on 1.5. And I'm like, you, nothing about this stands out. And you're also not as good at it as other people that do that all the time. So wasn't really sure like the intent behind this. You know, I guess you want to just make these songs, throw them out there. I won't judge it as much as if it was like a true album follow up. But yeah, I thought it was an interesting left turn for him after what good for you was there there's a lot to like in here like i think the production's really interesting and the beats are still really good after caroline went platinum i think amine reached this level of, of fame that he probably didn't even imagine he was going to rise to this quickly and i think he tries to take some of the things he does very well on uh good for you which he's he has these these introspective lyrics and talks about things and he he can get pretty deep on that album at times but he tries to do it here in almost like a like more mature way i say quote unquote um and i or or just a different way maybe he's trying to find an equilibrium because he probably feels like he can't keep up that like optimistic uh upbeat feel all the time um and i think probably his sophomore record whenever that comes out proper is going to be somewhere in between he's gotta he's gotta recapture that magic while also trying to bring things down a notch because no one can be that positive all the time um i don't know it's you know dr whoever and why were probably the songs that stood out to me on this um, and i know them yeah i think you feel the same um but yeah it's just there's a, a lot here that i'm just disappointed by yeah it's funny because it kind of reminds me of uh yadi's uh trajectory 
where he starts out really positive and really like bubbly, and then he kind of like doubles down on just making trap recently with Little Boat too, and that seemed almost like a response to his critics. Whereas Amine just seems like he just fucking wanted to make music like this, you know? So it was interesting, but it's like like you listen, it's like the second song hiccup. Like I would never expect Amine to be on a song with Gunna. That just doesn't make any sense right. to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, playing a song with Rico Nasty towards the end, Rico's really dope. That 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 that's a lot better. But it just, I think he wanted to maybe flex a little bit. I don't know, but it's fine, you know. Yeah, and that's the thing is that this is just a, a project that he dropped out of nowhere. So this is the sort of thing where, it, I mean, worst comes to worst, this is just a, a blip in, in the radar, and hopefully a sophomore album is way better. So Dave, why don't we jump into Sharp Objects, a show that we talked about, I think, well, after the first episode, maybe first couple, and then we haven't really come back to. But it wrapped up last night, eight-episode miniseries starring Amy Adams, Chris Messina, Patricia Clarkson, Eliza Scanellan played Emma in this. Uh, there's a lot to dig into here, especially if <laughs> if you want to talk about how that, that finale ended. But why don't we just get, give our general thoughts of the show overall? Like, what, what did you like about it or what didn't didn't work for I mean, you? It's actually become quite the polarizing show in terms of uh, people having time for it or not, the lack thereof, you know. I think the mood, the vibe the show has and had throughout the whole run, the whole eight episodes, was pretty strong. I think what's cool about it is that it doesn't really feel like other other mystery shows, other crime shows. But Jean-Marc Vallée's editing and cutting was pretty cool for the most part. You know, I thought sometimes the flashbacks were a little obtuse and unnecessary, but it, it was a show I didn't expect to need to be really paying attention to, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that you would miss if you're only casually paying attention. But I did find that as the series went on that I was not as engaged with the characters and thus um, found the show's lack of interest in the plot uh, was less entertaining to me personally. Uh, well, again, I think that's admirable yeah. to have a tell a story that is really less about the you know the, the MacGuffin of the mis the, the murder you know, um, and again it's an adaptation from a novel. Mm-hmm. But again, I think that's admirable for storytelling. But I personally wasn't entertained, wasn't as engaged because I just really couldn't get into the characters, and I felt like the hazy vibe that the show had almost detracted from that and made it hard for me to continually be invested in what was happening or not happening you know how did you feel about it yeah i mean i think you bring up some interesting points especially you know you talked about how the vibe of the show was really kind of like the star of it amy adams uh was was amazing as always and eliza scanellan i thought was also fantastic for this being her first major role you know we talk about shows like mr robot or legion shows that really are kind of out there even fargo in some of the things that they do they're kind of out there but we laud them for taking those chances because those worlds are a lot of fun to be in. This is a very dark world, a very gothic type vibe. It actually has a lot of like true detective season one type vibes to it. And it, it's the sort of thing where if this just isn't a, a fun world to be in or if it's very just like melancholy and sad, it can lose people. And I think that's kind of what happened with this is it's, it's just a very dark, traumatic world to be living in. And if you don't have enough intrigue in in what's actually going on with the story people are going to become less interested now i don't think that takes away that this was i think a really well done show and that again the performances i think were great and there's a lot to like about it especially in the way i probably like most is that this is probably going to be it they're not going to make a 
season two of this show, Sharp Objects. Yeah, Casey Boys confirmed that already. They're not doing a second season. He said Amy Adams doesn't want to revisit the character, which how can you blame her? It's, again, Very it's dark. dark. Whole thing. Yeah, why don't we jump to the finale, I guess, because like you said, the, the middle was kind of plotting and not super interesting at, at all the time. What did you make of, of I guess, the penultimate and the, the season finale episodes? The payoff moments, again, they didn't they didn't really hit for me, and I feel like they should have, because I thought it, it was really well done how they revealed what was going on with Adora, and then the whole, the whole first half of the finale, I don't know, I just found Camille's intent to intentionally be poisoned really uh like grating to watch i was just like i just found it really frustrating from a plot perspective yeah. but i thought the way it revealed for adora was cool and then I, obviously i think that the, the last 10 minutes are mm-hmm. really really strong obviously a really well done fake out for anyone that hadn't yep. read the novel and i think the luring you into the false sense of security uh where you think the resolution was was smart and well done but Again, because I wasn't super invested in any of the characters, and like I blew with mm-hmm. Adora, you know, regardless of what she actually did and do, you know, I just it was it was tough to like it it was good like I, it's more a show like I respect than I like was super entertained by, you know. I found myself in like the last ten minutes after you know they were living in St. Louis together. I was kind of like, why are they showing all this? Like, I don't really once I know that they're established, I don't really care too much about like what their lives are like there or how they're getting on. But then it made a lot of sense once you see like the mid credit scene and kind of how um, like what the, the twist was to all of this and what was really going on with Emma. But again, it's the sort of thing where my first thought was I'd really like to go back and watch the show and see like the performances and how everything is now knowing what the twist is. But it's also a show I don't really want to go back and watch again this soon. Maybe in the future I'd want to revisit it. But God knows with how much TV we have to get to already. That's not going to happen. And- <laughs> right. Well, that's one of the things everyone's kind of sharing today is that the answers were in front of us the whole mm-hmm. time when Amma was quoting Machiavelli, you right. know, when they were there, when they found mm-hmm. the dead girl, her and her friends. It's like there are all these little things, but at the same point, it's like, I just don't know if it, if, if it matters to me. Like the obvious comparison, like it's funny because like we all compared this to Big Little Lies because it was HBO miniseries with John right. Malay, right? But it's really, like you said, more like True Detective. It's a more darker, introspective show. Big Little Lies is just flat out more entertaining because it's very campy. Yeah. It lets the performers just have mm. fun. And another show that the plot wasn't as important as, you know, you expect from a mystery mm-hmm. type show. But there was definitely more uh, plot movement in that. So I think it, it's definitely worth watching, especially if you appreciate TV. Because, again, it, it doesn't. Like it's not like something like Mosaic mm-hmm. that was on HBO earlier this year, which was just kind of a by the numbers mystery show. Doesn't do anything that mm-hmm. unique. This does plenty unique, and it's maybe it's just my expectations or my desires for the show were just off base. So again, it's a show I think is good. I think Amy Adams definitely deserves an Emmy nomination in the limited series category mm-hmm. come next year, of course, for that that award cycle. So because it's only a uh, going to be a one and done mini series not going to actually get renewed like big little lies was or end of the fucking world netflix was i think it's a show i still would recommend to people to at least give it a shot yeah the like, like i said the performances alone are worth watching and i think th- there's so much about the show that's well done just the way it's created the way it's shot 
the cutbacks, like you said, it's there's enough there to warrant liking it, even if at parts it's a little boring. Something that was not boring, but left me with questions scratching my head, but something I know that you stand for, man. First Reformed, thank God for a video on demand. Finally got around to seeing it after that, uh, after I missed it in theaters. Paul Schrader, I don't even know what film this is for him. He's been around forever. What, since like the 70s? Right, well, he's most famous for co-writing Taxi or Driver. writing uh, yep. Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, mm-hmm. Last Temptation of Christ. For Scorsese. Yeah, he ran in that whole group with like Scorsese, De Palma, Spielberg. I think yeah. he was close to Sydney it too. May, yeah, so, I mean... This is sitting at 93% Rotten Tomatoes. It's gotten a lot of a lot of buzz this year. It's definitely Oscar-worthy. A lot of people heralding Hawk's performance in this. Obviously, Ethan Hawk is the lead. I know that you said this is in your top three films, and you're not sure where you know what order that's in right now, but what, what do you like about this movie? Why is this a movie that is getting such high praise this year? Yeah, it's funny. I remember what, as soon as I, was, I went to see it, and from the very first shot, I'm like, oh, the aspect ratio isn't like everything else I see, you know? Interesting. That was a choice mm-hmm. he made. I, like, I, I took on my phone and I wrote down first shot aspect ratio of when he's like the close-up of the church, if I yeah. remember correctly. And so I was like, right, this is definitely a movie that was particularly directed at. And again, like, I, I knew a lot of the hype going in, so I was kind of expecting that. But then once you go in, and then it's, it's, a, it's a very simple story. But I think because Hawk gives such a measured measured mm-hmm. performance about a, a, a priest having a crisis of faith and having that consume him seeing that pan out i thought was was superb and just the way he grapples with his emotions throughout the film i thought the voiceover when he was writing in his diary was incredibly mm-hmm. effective and i thought the ending that took a lot of balls there's a lot of talk about other potential endings but i really fucking liked that ending in that dream sequence right mm-hmm. before it so yeah i just think that i thought the whole movie was uh really excellent and you know, shout out a friend of the pod, Marty O'Donnell. He's actually someone who I recommend the film to. He was excited to see it. And he did not like the film. He thought it was too heavy-handed mm-hmm. at the end. And uh, it didn't work for him, although he respected the ending. So it was interesting to hear that perspective. But for me, it totally worked. And I thought it was really exceptional. Yeah, I'm not... Uh, so I'm not super familiar with films that are made in this transcendental... Um, I don't know, format way, however you want to put it, style. And... Uh, you know, kind of all, all the research I did on this, because I, I did a lot of reading afterwards to try to make sure I was kind of taking away from it what they were trying to, or if I was missing something. Um, and apparently, the, there's two movies, Country Priest and Winter's Light, that uh, Schrader pulls a lot from for the plot and kind of the way that um, he moves the narrative along, and especially with like the diary and, and the crisis of, of faith based on a, a recent uh, political issue. You know, in this, it was um, global warming and pollution and corruption things like that yeah so there it touches on a lot and i felt so confused at the end of this i was like i I was like am i watching a dream is this actually happening especially after and that's probably part of the point of this is that it's supposed to be about how faith can shake you and faith can bring things to such a higher form or really tear things down that's kind of like what that dream sequence is about is that they're so or at least that's why i interpret it, is that they're so small within this you know larger scheme of things where this is really just a, a little moment but uh yeah the ending was was a tough tough thing for me to make sense of and i'm still not sure where i land on it whether i mean i, I guess i'll ask you how did you interpret that ending yeah well to, to be to talk about it in a cliche way it's really lynchy, right right it's just because it's obscure because it's really surreal 
Um, and the rest of the movie didn't hit me that way. That's probably why I felt confused. Right, yeah, it really builds up at the end with that like that like dream like green screen mm-hmm. sequence, right when they're lying on top of her face to face. Right. Well, it's just funny because it's like, uh, what was his name? Ernst. Name? Ernst Toller. Ernst. Yeah. When he, when he, it's funny because like he's like a um, he was a man of the cloth mm-hmm. post military, right? But like he didn't really find his faith until the end, and I don't know. I guess that's just how I read it. I think it's just it's an ambitious. Uh, way to end end a movie you know because like the all the build-up to that ending is like all right he's gonna fucking do it he's gonna go right off the church right with the suicide vest and i think there were other um drafts thrown out there i forget traders shared one of these yeah. endings, and then one other one i think was just a theory where i think there was one where it was like similar like a dreamy ending but it was like floating like body okay. parts or something as if he did blow it up and I thought the other the other way was that it, he would try and do it and he would fail and he would just like fall into despair mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. I, I, so the, it, it's an interesting movie just to, to think about, you know, where the character could have went. You know? Yeah, there, there's a lot to it. I mean, I guess there was also one ending which was, is very like uh, traditional in this style where he drinks the Drano and she walks in and he dies right there and there's like, you know, the... the Christ on the cross above him so there's a, a lot that could have happened with it and I think where I feel almost kind of like uh, I don't know, know if this makes sense because I saw him as a man of of such faith throughout the whole thing like almost to the point where like he needed to just like lighten up a little bit on his faith be like man you really are taking on the weight of everything here and like that's kind of what was tearing him apart was everything just seemed so heavy and he felt like there was so much wrong that the church wasn't taking action on or that he couldn't change. And then what he finds salvation in is just this, this widow, this, uh, this woman, this other person who was like the only, like, I feel bad for her. Amanda Seafried played that role really well. Every, every other guy in her life was falling apart and she was the only strong one. So I guess in a way that's like the opposite of Lynchian because Lynch always makes like kind of not so strong female characters who kind of like, lead to like a, a man's de- demise whereas like this is a really strong True. woman who kind of saves them but dead girl trope um <laughs> i mean uh, cedric the entertainer also i thought the scenes with him were fantastic and i'd never seen him like show th- these kind of chops yeah really good. <laughs> i mean there there was a lot to like about this movie and it's it's definitely well done i i'm just still i'm sitting with it trying to figure out if it's a movie that i think was just good or if it really hit for me yeah, no, again, I think the message behind it, like, again, as I said, like, our friend of the pod, Marty, it was, it was too mm-hmm. blunt for him, Yeah, you know, and maybe for you, it was, it was too obtuse, you know, it was too uh, unclear, you know, I think that's, like, this is a, a tiny-ass movie that A24 mm-hmm. picked up, right, Paul Schrader is 71 years old, um, he hasn't made, he hasn't made, like, a, a standout film solo uh, in, in quite some time, too, it's really returned the form for him. But this is, you know, this is, there's not wide appeal in a story like this. But, you know, I don't know. I just think Ethan Hawke's performance uh, taking the story, uh, I don't know, just really, really sat mm-hmm. with me. Like, I, I remember I, like, sat in the theater for a while just thinking about the movie after yeah. I saw it. It uh, definitely makes you think. I, I, and if, you know, we, we talk about, especially this being, uh, like, the other movie I think that's up there this year that, made me think in this way is probably sorry to bother you you know and i guess black Klansman in a way too had that effect um 
these sort of movies are made to do that. It's made to make you think. So if nothing else, this movie achieved its goal and it really makes you think about the world and uh, especially faith and spirituality. Um, I think Hawk will probably, or at least deserves an Oscar nom. I mean, I can't say he probably will because we haven't seen the other films and other performances he'll be up against, but he's got to at least be in the discussion for a nomination. Uh, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, I just think it's... Uh, it's. I don't know. I just think I think it's really strong. I think Schrader's script is actually is actually really admirable, too. Um, all of the scenes in Cedric the Entertainer's big successful mm-hmm. church... I think those really work for like helping push him toward push Ernest towards his radicalization, and like um, the moments he had with uh, I forget her name, but like someone he used to have like relations with who was at mm-hmm. that church, right? Where like he like pushes her yeah. away. Esther, that was, that was yeah. really well done. Yeah, Esther, that's right. And yeah, I just I don't know. I just think. Also, I thought the, the the original message, the whole like driving force of this, you know, environmentalism, mm-hmm. things like that, and like, you know, like uh, environmental terrorism, the other end of it, like, I also find that like really pressing and uh, you know relevant to today too. So it's uh, I don't know, I I just thought it was uh, really exceptional. It's somewhere in my top three right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, see, it's on demand right now. I'm sure it'll probably be on one of the streaming services before the end of the year. So. Um something that we can definitely definitely um we'll be definitely talk about the end of the year and definitely be i think revisiting just in terms of uh, the performances and also the the thoughtfulness put behind it so check it out i guess my my last thought i thought it was really effective not using music except for choir singing and then uh, at the end when esther was singing also another thing i noticed like that last shot the movie is very still like the the way it's shot it's not really moving very much and then that last shot is like spinning which i think was very effective to like give that feeling of like yes i don't know emotion and almost like salvation in a way so yeah definitely check it out paul schrader this is a probably one of his best works i can remember seeing from him yeah definitely one of his best movies in like 27 years in terms of movie yeah, actually directed. Crazy. We're going to wrap up there for the week. What do we got next week, Dave? What's on the docket? Uh, yeah, next week we're going to talk about Papillon, yeah. the remake film of the 1973 classic. This new remake with Charlie Hunnam and Rami Malek, people we're generally fans of. We're also going to talk about BTS and the rise of K-pop in the <laughs> West. Getting you that, that Asian content. Shout out to Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> Two weeks in a row, number one. Probably get to that Blood Orange album, Negro Swan, that just dropped. Maybe some other stuff, some fall preview action. We'll look ahead, a lot of stuff coming out in the fall. You know, I think we got, I think we got a lot planned this Friday. Actually, there's some interesting releases too. I don't know if we'll get to all these right away or if, or if we'll get to them. But like, uh, Jack Ryan is premiering on Amazon, and Ozark season two is coming out on Netflix. And Megan Trainer is also releasing a new album, and I've actually liked some of her her lead singles from this. So plenty of stuff to talk about. <laughs> plenty of stuff to talk about, Dave. I don't know why you had to qualify Crazy Rich Asians as an Asian movie, but. Uh, oh yeah shout out our comments on that that's hilarious <laughs> the representation doesn't matter at all so mm-hmm. every conversation that's being had around it don't worry about it anyways hit us up at nostalgia pod on twitter subscribe below soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod give us all the feedback we appreciate hearing from you uh we'll catch you next week peace out yeah.